hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, a Doctor Who commentary podcast. And I'm here, Dylan, to talk about Flux. And of course, I'm with Joe Ford as well. Ah, oh, you and me are heavy fluxing these days. <laughs> fluxing all over the place. <laughs> We're taking a deep dive into a hell of a flux. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, you're blushing two minutes in. That's great. <laughs> I've actually just caught the sun. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm going for that real gammon look at the moment. Um, it's it's been a little while since we touched upon uh, Halloween Apocalypse and uh, War of the Sontarans, isn't it? It has been a while, yeah. Um, last When we did that, I was up in the mountains drinking red wine. Now I'm back in East London drinking water and peppermint tea. So, you know, different background, but uh, still very excited to be talking about Doctor Who. I've heard a rumour, you know, you've been hanging out with the first Doctor. <laughs> No, William Hartnell's dead. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay, sorry, the other first Doctor. Oh, no, Hartnell's <laughs> dead as well. Yeah. Um, what, I was trying to remember the name of the, the double from uh, The Reign of Terror, but that's gone now, like Gordon Bowfoot or something like that. Hello from The Chase, Edmund yeah. Warwick. Edmund Warwick. There's, there's a lot of first Doctors. All right, fine. The seventh first Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I was lucky enough to work with David Bradley, uh, and when I was I was the perfect professional the entire shoot and then once we finished and once he'd wrapped I was just like David I'm a big Doctor Who fan can I have a photo to which he said turn the camera on and did the speech from Dalek's Invasion of Earth uh, and just it, as the Doctor because he's Northern in real life um, and uh, yeah I put it on Twitter and so far it's had like 1300 likes and like 70,000 views which is insane. There's a lot of people on Twitter about life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, and you know, that's where you and I met, Dalek Invasion of Earth. That's very true. Yeah. So we, we bonded over that, and uh, I didn't tell I didn't tell Bradley that because he doesn't know what Dalek Invasion of Earth is. But uh, if you want to see it, it's on my Twitter. It's him being the first Doctor and me being slightly awkward next to him as he does his little speech. But it's fantastic. Honestly. You're, you're standing next to him laughing your head off. You are having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the people the, who was there at the time, who is somebody that uh, I work with, was like, I see you coming to work very serious. And, you know, I've seen you have quite heated debates. But for <laughs> 10 seconds, you're a giggling little fanboy. And then I, he said I was sat at my desk just with a big grin on my face for the rest of the day. I just cannot imagine you being serious. <laughs> you know, every time I get together with you, we're just laughing our heads off. <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, we are very, very different people at work, aren't we? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and no one wants to talk about Doctor Who at work for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, and I don't really have much of an opportunity to talk about Doctor Who as a sex worker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Pays well, but <laughs> every now and again, you drop a reference, you know, and someone goes, oh, do you know know, uh i've got a friend called sam and me and sam met through work and i was interviewing for him for a job and he i said so uh how did you get into film and television he's like well it all started with a 1992 repeat of genesis of the daleks and i was just like (laughs) in my mind i was like you've got the job and we're We're like he could have been the worst candidate. No, he was very good. And he's a very, very, very nice man. But um, yeah, he's he became a a friend from the moment uh, 
<laughs> from, from that moment on, I was like, okay, we'll go for drinks out of work. And we we went to a Doctor Who convention in Manchester together a few years ago. We used to do a Doctor Who pub quiz together as well. He's a, he's a nice chap. So hello, Sam, if you're listening. He's probably if not. you are listening, all right, just know that your love of Elizabeth Sladen is not the reason you have a career in television, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's your talent. <laughs> but it helped. Well, look, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about Flux Part 3 or Chapter 3. Are they called, do they call them chapters? I can't remember. It's one of those things, you know, with these long seasons. Bill, like I trial of a Time Lord, which fans debate about over and over. Yeah, but it's uh, anyway, it's called Once Upon Time, which is a, a fantastic title, I think. We're courting controversy here because I've got a strong feeling, you know, that a lot of people think this is the weakest episode of the season. And I'll tell you, I was at the Pandorica convention in Bristol the day this episode aired and five of us piled into somebody's bedroom. And I was <laughs> very promising. But apart from my other half, I wouldn't touch one of them. Oh, God, no. <laughs> anyway, um, and we watched it and sort of afterwards, it was like, like, I'm going, my God, wasn't that amazing? You know, and there was a deadly <laughs> silence in the room. But then we went down to the atrium and honest to God, it was like the Queen had died for the first time. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, God. I'm, and then I realised just how out of step I was, or at least with that crowd of Doctor Who fans. And there was a lot of people there. Yeah, I mean... I remember enjoying it at the time. I remember enjoying the hell out of all the flux, really. And uh, but and again, going online and just being like, wow, the response to this is really kind of muted. But I mean, my opinion of it has only got better on this rewatch. Mm. Like, it's a fantastic episode. And I think there's a lot to unpack and talk about. And uh, I think we're going to have a, a great time discussing it. Chibbers says it himself, I remember in an interview, he said, I really wanted to take the opportunity to do a story that I could only do at this point in the season. Like this this story could not take place in any other season at any other point. It's got to be after all that setup in the first two episodes has happened and before, you know, the climax of the season is here. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot happening in here. And for fans that don't like exposition, there is a lot of exposition in this. But a lot of it's visual. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I think Chibber's sort of default setting sometimes is to ex- over-explain. Whereas a lot of what's happening in this, there's a sort of, there's a voiceover, but a lot of what is being shown to you is sort of creatively visual rather than just exposition. Yeah. I don't think it's full of uncomfortable exposition or clunky exposition. I think it all flows very naturally. And, I mean, we'll discuss this more as we get into it. But if anybody says that Chris Chibnall can't do character, just show him, show them this episode because it is full of character development uh, for all the regulars and the new regulars as well. Like, we learn so much about all those characters. It's a really beautiful episode of just learning who these people are. I think this is, you know, when sort of Warriors Gate came along and like Ghostlight in the 80s and people were saying this is Doctor Who for like the video age where Mm -hmm. you've got to watch it a couple of times for it to make sense. I think on a first watch, maybe this might be a little confusing. Yeah. You give it time and you focus on what's going on. I've got a small list here. If you would um, bear with me just for one second, because I wrote a little list, okay, of what this episode is covering. I'll try and be quick. 
Hit me. Go on. Okay. I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, so well this is this is what I this is what I wrote down as to what this covers. Yeah, because I remember a lot of people going, Well, what was that about? It wasn't about much. It was just, you know, a lot of waffle and and a lot of A to B. But I figured it explains how the Maury ended up on time. Because yeah. it explains that the roof doctor took them there. How Swarm and Azure were originally defeated. So how Swarm is on that planet in the Halloween apocalypse. How Vinder ended up on Station Row, so it sets up how he got there in in that first episode. Who Vinder has been looking for and talking to throughout this whole thing. What the impact of the Flux is having on the universe, which is sort of all the big powers, the Daleks and the Cybermen sort of vying for the planets that are left. Um, introduces the Grand Serpent and Tectayun. Explains what Passenger can do. Yeah. Um, it delves into Carvinista's relationship with the Doctor and establishes that that happened way, you know, back in the Doctor's past that she can't remember. Um, you get to see the Roof Doctor working for Division, so it's adding a load of backstory to her character. Um, and you learn that the Flux is artificial and was created because of the Doctor, and that because of all of that, the universe is effectively over. That's a lot for it one is. episode. And I don't think you've got it all there because you've got all the Dan backstory stuff, the Dan and Diane. Then you've got Belle and Vinda's relationship. This is the proper introduction of Belle. She's like in a post-credit scene, isn't she? On the, yeah. the like on the last one, uh, and about their life together and their their forthcoming child. There's just so much in there. It crams a lot in, and so the idea that it's somehow dull filler just blows my mind. And in the same breath, rather than just being a tick list. It does it in such an imaginative way in having all the regulars take on different sets of characters in different backstories. So it's like a performance yeah. piece as well. And it just throws one brilliant like visual after another. There's some really good special effects in this as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a stunning bit of television. Um, and, I think we've covered it. Right, let's go over yeah, now. Yeah, let's go. We're done here. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Well, should we go into and watch the thing, shall we? Let's watch the thing. Hmm. Are you going to count us in? Oh, sorry, yeah, I will. I was just having a quick sip of the old iced tea there. Um, in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Okay. Oh, mine's not playing. Oh, no. Just... Oh, it's, it's fine. Don't worry. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. I'm just going to be like just about be 10 seconds, seconds behind. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you worry. So I love I love that Doctor Who gets a recap now. We don't get that a lot, but again, it just feels like it's in uh, the modern television landscape, which a lot of this this episode really feels like well, this story feels like. I just think we're suddenly in a in a series of Doctor Who that is competing with what the streamers are doing. Do you remember when um Torture of Children of Earth came out across a week? Mm-hmm. How for a torture season that built ratings throughout the week and and yeah. on the highest rating of the season do you think that would have helped with the flux um potentially i think uh, the thing is i people watch tv in a different way now and we talk about overnights and things like that but there are people that are going to watch flux for the first time forever and that's fine so it's not really about those overnights or anything like that it's simply just it's it, it it's just there as a package that exists. So 
people will binge it no matter what. But I do think there's a world where we do get, and maybe even the specials, we get them consecutively on nights to see to see how that works. But I just think that live TV experience just isn't really there anymore. Or no. it, 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 sorry, no, go on, go on. No, 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 after you, after you. Well, no, I was going to say, I just don't think it impacts the success of the programme anymore when it's exactly. live and whether that programme will survive. And yet we still got all this cancellation anxiety in our heads. <laughs> if it doesn't get 10 million viewers, well, that's it. Yeah. Doctor Who's over, you know? While Russell T Davis is talking in DWM about season the season in 2025 and writing episodes for that already. It's like, if, if Doctor Who got cancelled tomorrow, it would be off air for a maximum of five years. We wouldn't have like 16 years. It's too much of an important brand in a world where everybody wants IP. So it would just be, it would just take a bit of a reboot within a few years. Now we've missed them, but I want to talk a little bit about the CGI Daleks in this. Yeah, what's everyone going on about? They're too slim. Yeah, it's weird. But what is weird is you get the CGI Daleks moving through the forest, and then there's one shot where you sort of see one of them round a corner, and it looks like it's a real prop. So I don't know. I wonder whether they shot it and the, the, it was, the footage of the Daleks was just too wobbly. And so they went, oh, we, we'll, we'll just CGI them in. But yeah, everybody says that they look weird, but they don't. They look like Daleks. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I mean, all right, fine. Let's bring back the Destiny of the Dalek ones, you know, that are all back <laughs> on people's legs hanging out the bottom. Um, the, are the Daleks contractually obliged to appear in every single season? They must be. They absolutely must So be. they're here and they're in the Vanquishers, aren't they? As yeah. Well? But they're just not feet. Like Chibnall saves his Dalek stories for New Year's anyway, doesn't he? He yeah. doesn't like to do uh... savvy, I think. Yeah, because he's got other stories, he, uh, other stories, other stories he wants to tell in Doctor Who. So I like I I don't think him or Moffat were particularly interested in the Daleks. I think he rises and bear though. Chibis. He does. I think, he... I think Chibis is interested in just making them fucking bastards. Yeah. yeah. But I think Chibnall recognises that they get in the way of other storytelling because they've got to be your big bad if you use it in the season. So that's why he saves them for the specials, whereas Moffat's always looking to do something else. But we're not here to talk about Stephen Moffat. I knew we were in for something good here where they started borrowing from Heaven Sent because this sequence at the beginning here where she, we're in her head as to yeah. how she very quickly reacts to this dangerous situation reminded me so much of Capaldi when he was flying on the yeah. That castle going towards the TARDIS. It's it's very similar stuff. I love this vortex stuff that when they're sort of floating in time, it reminds me, especially when the Weeping Angel shows up. It reminds me of that season five trailer, the cinema trailer that they did for Matt Smith's first series season. Well, we've come on a bit from Ark of Infinity, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Ark of Infinity obviously wasn't seen as that bad because. <laughs> Moffat picked it as in the name of the doctor, the scene that he was going to use to <laughs> represent. <laughs> There's some very odd choices in, in that montage. As that much weird as... bit where Patrick Trout was running across that uh, Hawaiian <laughs> beach <laughs> in his fur coat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with We're a, talking a... about Moffat again. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We're on a mission now. Yeah. It, the, the 13th Doctor is on a mission to so get this, the Temple of Atropos. This is the first bit of televised... This is the first televised Doctor Who story set before an earthly child, right? Except With the exception of that little uh, snippet that we see in... I suppose 
in Listen and The Name of the Doctor, you get a little bit. But this is the Doctor on an adventure, free an earthly child. Like if you were, you were saying like um, sort of chronological, then obviously you had all those clips from the timeless children of yeah Doctor as a baby. But you mean actually in an adventure? Yeah, yeah. we are in a pre-unearthly child adventure here. And that's that's exciting. And I don't think, because they do it with these guys occasionally flashing to other people, I, I do think, I think people underestimate that and also perhaps didn't quite get what was going on at the time. Now, I had a bit of a disagreement with uh, my friend J.R. Southall of the Strangers in Space podcast on a little chain, like a, a little WhatsApp. Spill the beans. Uh, because he said that he thinks this episode is only like it is because of COVID in that that's why they're all playing the same roles. But I don't buy that. The reason I don't buy that is because there are guest characters in all the other episodes. So it's not like you're bringing, like, what's the difference of bringing in, say, Joe Martin versus bringing in Kate Stewart or something like that? So I don't think it's because they're all in a little bubble. There are guest characters in this. You've got Yaz's sister back. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no. I, I, I think the reason why there's so much CGI... Yeah. It's possibly because of because they're doing a lot of in studio work because exactly. they go out as much. Um, but do you know what that means? You get it means you just get one stunning CGI vista after another. Yeah, and they're all huge, aren't they? They're all. I, I can't vistas. think of a story that visually has the scale of right. in Doctor Who, and I think Stephen Moffat had a fair stab, you know, in those pre-title sequences he used to do, where he used to visit fifteen locations. Yeah, before those title music has hit. But I think in terms of sort of pulling off a huge, epic, universe-spanning Doctor Who, yeah. this is as good as we've had so far. I think we may have better to come because the budget's going to go yeah. through. But... It's it's the best-looking Doctor Who story there's been. I love all this stuff with the, the fast-forwarding of time that, that that's going on right now, and you see those uh, those sort of time-vulturey things flying in the air. Also, we learn all about Dan and his, Dan and his failed marriage. Poor old Dan. Poor old Dan. Well, you know, he's getting to live, live adventure now, isn't he? Yeah. You love those the, the thingies in the air that are cauterizing time. So yeah. essentially, they shouldn't be here, should they? Yeah, so... exactly. It's a bit Father's Day, isn't it? I called them the time vultures. I couldn't remember what they were called, but they're just like a swarm of whatever, aren't they? Whereas I think the Reapers in Father's Day, I mean, unfortunately, the CGI is dated a lot now. Yeah. It's a scary idea, but this is just weird. And I like yeah. it, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. When I saw the Father's Day monsters when it first broadcast, I was like, wow, Doctor Who can do proper CGI now. And <laughs> I remember seeing there was a clip of them on Jonathan Ross um, just before the series aired. And it's so weird to watch it now and go, wow, that is some ropey CGI. But CGI just dates so badly anyway. But I mean, I mean, I remember the Slovene running through down the street in CGI. And I was like, my God, Doctor Who will never be better than this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lovely shot in a second where Di disappears and Dan's on his own in front of that massive yeah. museum at night. It's, it's really quite creepy. But again, even, even here we're out on location and those wide shots that they're selling, they're trying to make this world feel big. I think there's only really one episode which comes a bit later where you see where I'm a bit like, oh, you can tell this is shot in COVID in terms of the framing of how people are standing mm -hmm. and... Also, just the lack of extras in the last last episode or the last couple of episodes. I listened to the Chris Chibnall interview 
uh, on Radio Free Scarrow that they they did at the Doctor Who convention. The circumstances under which this season were made, you would not wish on your worst enemy. The fact that this is this good mm. is a fucking miracle. Yeah. It's Chris, and, Chris uh, Chibnall just says it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. Yeah. Um, I, I love this bit of Jodie Whittaker in the car where she's being... Oh, isn't she funny? She's so funny. And, and I said, I didn't really like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they use the angels well this season. Yeah, they use everything well. The Santarans are better than they've ever been. The angels are great. Now, do you remember that there was um, location footage, not location footage, but pictures of the the angels around this time, mm-hmm. and everybody was going, "Oh no, it's not. It's not that. It's not for that. It's like a promo for an adventure game or something like that." And it was only, I think. It's the beach stuff later on that you finally see Jodie facing off one and everyone was like, the angels are back. Stephen Moffat announced it on Twitter and then had to take it down because they didn't want I it. Love, I love the fact that Chippers went crazy, didn't they? And Stephen Moffat, <laughs> like, for God's sakes, you know. Now, oh, these scenes with Vinder's backstory, I think yeah. these are worthy of an episode. Yeah, they are. And also, it all looks very Phantom Menace. In terms of the little world they're on, and it's 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 a really cool moment, and it's just it's just another sprinkling of just how wide and vast this story is. And like I think everybody sort of acknowledges that Mandit Gill is a great actress, but she really gets to show her chops. I spe- I love her in this role. Yeah, she's she's supposed to be sort of this sort of grizzled, angry, a bit scared, um, yeah. general, isn't she? I've not seen Mandit Gill in anything else, and I don't know what she went. She's gone on to do, but I would love to. I think I'd love to see her in something, and I think she's got a a great future ahead of her. Well, do you know? And I don't. I think she's done some good things in this season already. I think the last three episodes give her best material. So yeah, you've got the best to come. Look at that shot there of that room. I don't know where that is shot with those vast pillars. they, They get good value out of. The locations here like there was a point during the moffat era and the rtd era where you were just starting to recognize bits of cardiff again and again oh, and again Lord, if we go back to that temple of bloody peace one more time <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, when was the last time we saw that i feel like it was season seven but it was in every fucking season for, for ages and most corridors like, like we got to the one you know with the silurians doing the debating and the yeah. debating chamber i said oh it's that fucking marble again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like across Chibnall's era, they've just gone out of their way. Like we said, it and it takes you away, and in Punjab to give it sort of different visual tones, like fresh, a fresh visual look. There's a brilliant thing that Jodie Whittaker says about playing the roof doctor, and it wasn't until I heard her say it I really watched her performance. So as the doctor, she she describes herself as sort of hunching a bit, and she's very animated with her hands. And she's a bit sort of slouchy and a bit relaxed. Whereas as the roof doctor, she's straight back. Oh, wow. Her dialogue in a very sort of sensible way. And you can really say, and and you know what? I was watching her and I was going, I could have done with a bit more of this, actually. Because she's got real presence. When she walks in in a bit and starts, you know, um, screaming at Swarm and Azure as she's walking through the corridors. Now, do you think this episode would have either been better or better received from fans if it was done with the Ruth Doctor rather than Jodie. 
or and Jody's floating around a bit, but they they fully they full on went in with Ruth and Carvanista. I think better a C because I think the Ruth Doctor is really popular, yeah. and I think she probably did deserve a whole episode. She did. I mean, I, I'm a, I can't remember whether I said this on the last podcast, but I the concept of the Ruth Doctor I really like. Um, Joe Martin. This isn't like a criticism of her. But in her 11-minute screen time, I don't get enough from her to go, that's the sort of person I want to be playing the Doctor. I get it as a functional bit of plot point, and I get it's very important to people to you know see themselves represented on screen, but I don't get big Doctor-y energy from her that a, a, an episode of her, I think, probably would have, would have been enough to, to sell me on. But she's she gets 11 minutes over her time. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? It's just 11 minutes. And, yeah. And like, yeah. And and they're all sort of important moments. We're not getting any of the fun. Or we're not getting yeah. any of her companions or yeah. any of that stuff that we love. You know, like in the, the day of the Doctor, John Hurt gets a good 60 minutes, you know, of like enough doctorish moments whereas in the tv movie paul mcgann gets at least 50 minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i yeah i i think it's not i'm not saying she's not a good doctor i'm just saying i would like more of her in order to assess her performance and I, i'll be interested to see what big finish do with her yeah. and you know maybe maybe one day she'll get a spin-off who knows but i think as like a performance piece this this test Jody in a way yeah. that sometimes the show doesn't mm. I really like that I especially like the bit at the end where she's desperate for the information about her past and she's screaming at the um yeah old what are the time people called the ladies so the oh what are they the Maori the Maori yeah or whatever yeah. The Maori Maori yeah <laughs> now um I was having a quick look on the internet and I didn't realize there was a much like it takes you away there is a an alien race cut out of this. Um, there was a, a, an alien race. There's pictures of the masks, and they were called the Masked Ravager Guards, and they were supposed to be in the Temple of Atropos. But they were shot. I'm throwing away money in this era, don't I? I? <laughs> <laughs> One day, I'm sure all those scenes will show up somewhere, and we'll we'll find out where they are. It's. Yeah, I guess, I'm guessing they didn't shoot it because they probably would include it on the DVD if they had, right? No, apparently they were cut in the final ed- edit, according to TARDIS.fandom.com. Um, what, what do we think of the Ruth Doctor's outfit? I like it. I don't I... love the shirt, but I like the, I like the suit. Again, I'm, I'm not J&T trying to be... Approves. Sorry, J&T approves. <laughs> and I say this as someone who wears a lot of loud shirts, but... Uh... <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, I think Joe Mai is great. But you're right, I, I, I'm i not getting enough for me yeah. to really have a, a strong opinion. And these people that say, you know, oh, she's the best, she's way better than Jodie Whittaker, yeah. how can you possibly say that? Uh, I, I worked with Jo Martin before she was the Doctor on a thing called Blue Story. She was a very nice lady. I have no idea whether she'd ever remember me, but uh, well, I, I, I certainly met her. Didn't get a selfie because she wasn't Doctor Who then. I certainly thought she gave a great turn in Fugitive of the Jadoon, though, throughout. Yeah. Well, she's, I mean, she's great in that, but it's, it, it's Ruth for most of it. And then it's only, it, it's only, again, those last sort of five or six minutes where she's, she's suddenly the doctor and it's a great reveal. And it's a great, she's a great sort of impetus for the arc of the, of the last two seasons of Whitaker. But I just, I just wanted a bit more of a. What I really love about exploring the Ruth Doctor 
is that obviously he's created a whole season with a whole new group of regular characters here, yeah. a whole new situation with the Flarks. But from the first episode, like she's after Carvanista because he used to work for the division. So he threads this thing that he's established in his second season as, as showrunner throughout the Flux. And it actually pays off in Survivors of the Flux. It pays off brilliantly. In fact, and in The Vanquishers as well. Yeah, it absolutely does. But it's also, it's that arc, isn't it, of um, season seven, a 7A, 7B, of this whole Doctor Who and the doctor's name and all. and it's the same thing but it's just for me it's executed better but i just think for some reason a lot of fans preferred the sort of moffat version of it which i liked but it's not so on the nose of having to get people go doctor who all the time oh god don't get me started on that <laughs> jesus christ i'm ramming it down your throat and i'm used to a bit of that you know <laughs> it was it, i was watching time of the doctor at christmas and uh it was that moment of where there's just a voice that comes through randomly go, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. And it's like, <laughs> it's not even a good voice. It's terrible. <laughs> and actually, it makes a bit of a mockery of the, the title of the show we've been watching all this time. <laughs> like, oh, God, it's bloody tedious when you say it out loud, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, what I love is, is we get all of these enticing glimpses into the past, you know, yeah. fighting with intergalactic despots like Swarm and Azure. This is all this exciting stuff she got up to back in the day that she can't remember. And then she sort of comes to the conclusion after spending the last episode with two other versions of herself that she's rather fabulous and goes, yeah. oh, yeah, this watch, do you know what? Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's great. I'm like, yeah. I, I like who I am. Who cares who I was? Oh, yeah. Also, I just, I, we just don't need those answers. I love this fleet of, uh, this army of Cybermen in the cyber sector and that red planet. It's just like, it's little I love things. that red grass. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that it's little things that's such a tiny little touch, but it just makes it feel alien in a way that you know it would have just been a quarry in other seasons. Like they're always in this season, and I think in this era, trying to push for the most diverse settings as possible. Like from you know from Praxeus to um, the, we've talked about Demons of the Punjab, and we talked about it takes you away. Every world that they visit has to be unique and that world could just be Norway or it can be this planet this tiny little planet of no what points sort of consequence at all and it just looks fantastic we've gone there from that fabulous shot of the camera sort of going up over the grass showing yeah. the mountains and the spaceship in the distance to then to this uh the grand serpent whatever this huge space station establishing yeah. shot just don't think the show's ever looked like this before. Yeah, yeah? me too. Now the Grand Serpent. Uh, yes. Oh, let's get talking about him. <laughs> God, I want to fuck him. <laughs> well, the Grand Serpent is what I call my penis, but um... <laughs> <laughs> but you do. <laughs> now, I heard from a friend who was not working on this season of Doctor Who or didn't work on any of the Chibnall Doctor Who, but knows enough people and he said that while it was not plot for plot the grand serpent wasn't originally in this but chris north was originally in it who mr big the um oh from, uh, after it was cancelled so he couldn't be in it anymore yeah so i mean the guy who told me even said he may have even potentially recorded started recording some scenes for it i don't know how true it is 
But and it wouldn't be a straight swap because obviously this guy's in space. But I, I, I was told that he was not a direct replacement, but a reworking of the um, of the Chris North character. And clearly, North was supposed to be back. Like, yeah. they wouldn't have open ended Revolution of the Daleks. They yeah. would have given him an ending, and the reason we know why. Oh, poor Chris Chibnall. Just picture the scene, okay? He's dealing <laughs> with COVID regulations left, right, and centre. You know, he's having to condense this 10-episode season into six parts. <laughs> and then he's written a load of great stuff for Chris Knopf, and then the Twitter pops up, Chris Knopf cancelled. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> he's already had it with Barrowman, you know. Yeah, <laughs> he can't win. Do you know what I said to Mark earlier? I said, after Philip Schofield, I don't think there's any part of my childhood, you know, that is <laughs> lighted. Imagine what Gordon the Gopher got up to. Oh, I dread the thing. Dazzle <laughs> brush, put yeah. it away. I, 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 When Operation U-Tree happened, in the back of my mind, I remember thinking, please don't let one of the Doctor Who's oh, be part of this. Jesus, yeah, please. Now, we've been quite lucky in that respect, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's Basil Brush's phrase. It was boom, boom, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now... Um, did we talk last time about the possibility of Jack being in this? I think we did a little, just a little. Because there was a tie-in comic, wasn't there, that was cancelled to Flux featuring Captain Jack. And big finish but, audios that were recorded as well. Yeah. But they they didn't directly tie into it. But I wonder whether the comic that tied into Flux featuring Jack, whether that was actually because Jack wasn't in the series. But I, but I think... If he if Jack was ever supposed to be in there, then it would be in the Kate Stewart role rather than rather than the Vinder role, which I just don't think is a like for like replacement. Because you could see that whole thing of unit being set up, and I can't I can't, can't quite remember the, the exact plot details, but you know the influence of the Grand Serpent on on, on unit could just as easily have been Torchwood. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I'd love it. You know, if Chris Noth had been responsible for Torchwood <laughs> throughout the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Imagine him getting that scene with Kate Stewart. <laughs> He'd breathe a bit of life into Gemma Redgrave if anyone oh, could. No, no, don't go. I, I, I do. I think you know Chris Noth is pretty loathsome. I do love the character. You I know, think it's I, a great character. <laughs> he's like the uh, one. Well, no, until Swarm and Azure came along, he was like the one big camp villain that we'd had. Yeah. You know? No. He, he was he was great. I love all this stuff here with the the, the angels on the computer games and stuff. Well, I, was, I was just about to say, you know, a lot of people say about sort of a Stephen Moffat script. Oh yeah, he fills it, packs it full of ideas that could have been a whole episode. I think there's a lot of that going on here as well. And yeah. that idea, the angels inside a computer game that come out and kill kids. Yeah. Oh, that could be a whole episode of Doctor Who. I'm I'm surprised that Doctor Who has steered away from computer games. Like the only so time. Far. So far, but the only time it was ever sort of mooted was the abandoned season twenty-three with the celestial toy maker. But like, it just seems such an obvious thing to do. Like, it just really surprises me that it's not been done. I love that. I just think the art direction in this scene, the set as well, with them next to that. I mean, it's just a redress, isn't it, of the yeah. set? But with that fabulous thing on the wall, which looks like sort of blue light is sort of dripping down the rock. Yeah. It's amazing. And obviously we've got the old version of Swarm and Azur. Do you know what? I Going back to people not liking this, I can imagine if your sort of Doctor Who that you love in the new series is that sort of very grounded Russell T. Davis sort of um, 
powerless state that that sort of doctor who i can imagine yeah. this very dense storytelling with all of these science fiction elements all the sort of explanation and the very it is very sort of sf heavy yeah i could understand that you'd be going oh, i can't really i can't penetrate this yeah but i i also i think there's a lot of doctor who fans uh, we, we, we talked about the viewing landscape changing and every other show and on the time lash are doing flux at the moment and they said this the other day that every other show is is this episodic format of and you have to pay attention and you have to tune in every week or binge it and i think you know viewers are used to that be them them doctor who fans or casual fans or casual viewers like i for one want a show that keeps me coming back every week with yeah. the eye with with plot points like this i'm actually a little bit over the sort of um, the, the classic format of Doctor Who, and although we don't know much about the next season, I'm a little bit sad that perhaps it appears to be back to sort of you know ones and two parters. I, you know, I think you are an extremely smart bloke. Oh, wait, I've read your book. I know you're a smart bloke. Yeah, you know? idea. But like Mar Rath, he likes a very simple linear plot. So to him, this is just a no-no. You know, yeah. he likes Planet of the Daleks and the Android Invasion. You know, I like mean, that, I that's like his... Planet of the Daleks and the Android Invasion. <laughs> but... but it's a particular type of Doctor Who, isn't it? You know, one danger after another. I mean, I saw somebody on the internet today slagging off Russell T. Davis as a writer and just going, he doesn't understand character. He crams too much in his scripts. And then I, I sort of checked his Twitter and everything he likes is from the 1970s, which is fine. You're allowed to do that, but if you want your favourite TV show to survive, it has to keep up with the times, and so you won't... It's not always going to be for you, and I just think there's there's nothing wrong with wanting that sort of style of television, but you have to understand it, the landscape with, with, within which it exists. Say whatever you want about Rusty Davis. Do not say he doesn't understand character. I know. Of all the criticisms, I think he's one yeah. of the best character writers on... In television, me too. And I mean, the guy was basically being a bit of a troll, but uh, there's a lot of them about, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you, you know, when you hear people going, "Oh, yeah, the, bring bring back Philip Hinchcliffe and make it like it used to be," and it's like, no one's going. You'll like that, but nobody else is going to like that. Take all the women out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make everything a gothic horror pastiche, you know. <laughs> it's like gothic horror pastiches haven't haven't been in vogue for a, a very long time. I do wonder. Excuse me, we're doing Village of the Angels next, <laughs> all right? <laughs> oh, yeah, very true, very true. I I do wonder if we end up with a plethora of Doctor Who spin-offs, whether there will be something that is more oh, sure. hated. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking like a Mark Gatiss written, like. I would presume, presume that you would. I'd be thinking of like a Paul McGann series or something like that. That is. Look at what they've done with Star Trek, where they've had their. Now they've got the opportunity. You've got a comedy show, um, a kids show, uh, arc heavy show, a character heavy show. Like they're catering for every type of Star Trek fan. Which yeah. is, this is so clever. I really like this because it's the first time we find out that um, passenger can contain. Yeah. He's basically like a TARDIS, isn't he? He yeah. can contain vast spaces inside. He's and had I, a lot of that's... people inside him. I think I said I made that joke last time. <laughs> you filth bag. <laughs> but it's not only a clever moment here, 
because he's kind of just been in the background, sort of just standing alongside him, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, who the hell's that wearing that mask you can get off eBay? You know. <laughs> um, but actually, that's the resolution of the entire season, ultimately, isn't it? Yeah. Is that passenger contact. Well, I can't remember what it is now. I can't, I can't remember what happened. Part in the of the last climax. Episode, but yeah, I know passengers heavy on the climax. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that mask. Of course he is. <laughs> now, I fucking love Belle. I think she's an absolute badass. Mm. I think I've, I've heard actually I've mostly heard positive things about Belle from everybody. She's a great character, played incredibly well, has a great storyline. It's a it's a very simple storyline, but just adds a you know a bit more to the, the Vinda character. Now you talk about spin-offs. I would a Belle and Vinda spin-off uh, of and Carvinista. and Carvinista, I would sit down and watch that all day. Well, I've heard criticism from somebody I respect a great deal because I do another podcast with him. That oh, you know, what was the point of those two characters? They were just introduced and then they just go off at the end. The whole point of them was: is it supposed to be a love story taking part during this mad, epic, universe-spanning catastrophe of two people sort of navigating that and yeah. trying to find their way back to each other, and then at the end going off and having great adventures? It gives some heart to the bloody thing. Absolutely, and I, yeah, I think they they are like they're almost along with Dan the relatable figures because at this point, Jody and Mandip they've been traveling together for so long that the, the character of Yaz becomes less relatable in a way. Not that's not a criticism, but she is, you know, she's got a bit of that Rose in series two and Clara in series eight energy of or series nine of just being, you know, the Doctor and the companion are a duo. In Survivors of the Flux, when Jodie Whittaker's off doing a moonlit flit with Barbara Flynn, Yaz <laughs> is the Doctor in that episode. Yeah. Throughout. Exactly. Yeah, she, abs- she absolutely with, is. With two amazing companions, my husband. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jericho obviously shows up uh, in the next episode, but he is a fantastic addition to the cast. I really like this conversation with the Cybermen as well. I don't yeah. usually like Cyberman dialogue. It's very functional. Yeah. And you know, like, look how far we've come. You just wouldn't have a scene like this in like sixties or seventies Doctor Who. No. Kick ass woman destroying a load of Cybermen and yeah. basically saying, Do you know what? I've got a heart as well, and that's why we're gonna win. Yeah. And she's still doing it all while she's pregnant. Yeah. That's great. I love it. Yeah, she's a, a fantastic character. Um, and I just I love I love that Cyberman teardrop that they they they, they that they've just retained on the masks for the entire time because when they are having conversations like this it seems a lot more poignant. And what she says here as well, like it's you, the Dalek Cybermen, sometimes like fighting over the spoils of what's left of the universe, and then ultimately you're all going to fight each other, and then when it's just you, you're going to fight each other, and what is the fucking point? Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of. A criticism that you can level at most of most of Doctor Who's big bads is that like you just want to destroy the universe or convert everybody, and then what? When it's just yeah, you, you what what happens? Like, we'll like, all just I, sit around as Cybermen, being very happy. <laughs> it's like you, you would just turn on each other. It's like Davros in Journey's End, when it's the destruction of reality itself, is like almost like the ultimate cliche slash piss take plotted for a Doctor yeah. Who story, but done with such bravado that you don't care. 
you just have to leave a little flag that said Davros did it or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he couldn't glow that he was the one that destroyed everything. Yeah. yeah. But actually, maybe that is the one plot that does make sense then with all these, uh, you know, despot villains. It's like, yeah, he wants to destroy everything because ultimately that's what they all want to do. At least he's honest about yeah. it. Absolutely. Oh, now look, the, this is that same establishing shot we had earlier of this space station where yes. um, the Grand Serpent's having his meeting. Now, Barry Letts did say, don't repeat a special effects shot because it gives <laughs> people time to study it a little bit and figure out how you did it. <laughs> but actually, it's so impressive, it don't matter. Yeah. Look, I at, love... look at what the, the set decoration here and the that's license. A, that's exactly what I was going to say. Just it's giving it that extra edge like we talked about it feeling like star wars uh, like when binder was on the planet with uh, mandip but and here it you know again it's it's got that star wars edge to it it's like it feels like a of like a, a tangible alien world like just the fact that the recording device is just some needlessly pointless sci-fi device like when you could just press record on your phone um mm -hmm. It just just adds a different element to to selling this world. I think it goes to even greater levels in Survivors of the Flux when we're trying to establish that the uh, Yaz has been to all these parts of the globe, and we're just on like a marketplace, and yeah. it's lit so amazingly well and and dressed brilliantly. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're putting some real thought into this. Like back in the day, in the you know eighties Doctor Who, this would be a terribly functional white walled room. Yeah, you know, with a green sofa. Yeah, the lounge of Rassilon. <laughs> or the you know the sets of Time Lash or something like that. Yeah. The uh, and even this the sofa that the Grand Serpent sat on. I know that's such a weird thing to say, but it just looks like a design you don't see. Or the makeup on those people's faces. Yeah. Sort of gold makeup. Yeah. To suggest that they're royalty. And do you know what's the fella's name he plays the Grand Serpent? Oh, do you know what? I don't know, but I do have... He has a real intensity to his performance. Um, you know, I've known men like this, you know, and they're bloody scary. But you it's, just feel as if, you know, in a heartbeat, you could be dead. It's Craig Parkinson. Yeah, um, he's terrific. And yet you see him on the in the interviews. He's a big camp and he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a great addition. And I think he's also this is because of the swarm and uh, the swarm and Azir here. You don't. He's another great villain that ha, had he been not in this story and he's used in somewhere else, you'd be like, that's a fucking fantastic villain. But yeah. he's kind of overshadowed a little bit by the fabulous uh, Ravagers. But I think he gets he gets his day in the sun in Survivors of the Flux, where he gets most yeah. of his material. And then, yeah, right, in, in The Vanquishers, he's in a couple of scenes, good scenes, and yeah. he gets a decent payoff as well. But yeah, like, yeah. you almost feel like he deserved a whole episode where he was... Yeah. He, he gets left on a rock, doesn't he? A bit like the Master in The Power of the Doctor. Yeah. You know, we're used to showrunners reusing element, the same elements again and again. And I don't think... I don't think Chibnall is as guilty of it as uh, as Moffat is. But there are certain things, even like the flickering of the Doctor in this, is that it is a bit like the, the projected version of herself in Power of the Doctor that, you know, that turns into whichever 80s pensioner is... Uh, <laughs> companion is in the scene. <laughs> I'm not slighting those things though. Those are two they're some of my favourite scenes in Doctor Who. 
so good. This, this, you know, I'm not going to say it's really Moffat as if Moffat created the non linear plot. Which, <laughs> of course, he didn't. He just did it so much that when it comes to yeah. Doctor Who, that's sort of like his blueprint. But all of this, all of this stuff in this episode, which is explaining a ton of stuff in the Halloween apocalypse. Yeah. Really love that. But because it's not all tied up at the end of an episode, I think that's why fans feel like they're not getting answers when actually you're you're being hit with as many answers and new questions again again and again and again throughout these things. So so I can see why to some people it would feel like it hadn't resolved, but... And, like, spoilers for The Vanquishers, which I do really like, but I think potentially it's the weakest episode of the season. I think it's furiously paced and full of explanations because he has done so much setup at that point. He's got to tick everything off. Yeah, I just think... the, The thing is, the resolutions are never particularly great in Doctor Who. Do you know what? I did a ranking earlier of, you know, I did all the, the ranking of the season openers, which was easy because they're always amazing. Most of them are really good. Then I did a ranking of the season finales. And honestly, the bottom eight of 13 were like, I don't like any of them. <laughs> it's just so hard to tie everything up and reset things, especially when it's like destruction on a universal scale in a satisfactory way that people are going to like. I do... I would love there to be a smaller finale one day that just doesn't have any of those elements and see see how things work out. But I just think it's the nature of modern television that we're just not going to see well, that. I'm going to ask Doctor Who. you a question, and I'm going to ask you it now with the flux. And boy, am I going to ask you it in season six when we do the Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon. Should you promise and be as ambitious as this if you cannot satisfactorily pay everything off? Uh, yes, you should. Um, I, I think it's fine because we all know that Doctor Who always fundamentally ends with a reset. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But there is. I, I, I cannot think of a point where Doctor Who has permanently changed. I think that's maybe at the end of the War Games where all of a sudden you know who he, who he is or more about him. But Every other big climax, just it, it's it's a reset. Oh my god, here she is, Barbara Flynn, who I still remember as Cracker's wife back in the day. <laughs> she was amazing in that. She was amazing in that, and she is amazing here. Uh, and it's it's a fantastic like again because she's not going. I'm a Time Lord. I'm wearing a robe. I think Doctor Who fans are just like, whoa, she's underused, whatever, because they they want it sort of painted you know they, they want it all handed to them but th- what we're seeing here is part of the doctor's origins we're seeing uh, basically the original time lady and it's like this is deep gallifreyan law but it sells it in an accessible way to people who are, are turned off by the idea of men in big robes and i always feel like, i think jodie whisker is a great actress but i feel like when she's butting heads with a great actress, she yeah. increases her game even more. And these two, especially in uh, Survivors of the Flux, yeah, those scenes are just go. And uh, you know, I've had people going, "Oh, they're just spouting a load of uh, sci-fi exposition." This is fucking Doctor Who. We've been putting <laughs> up with sci-fi exposition now for sixty years. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what? What do you want from? <laughs> what? What do you want? And the. I love the plot point that the universe is ending because of the Doctor. 
yeah. which is something that I think could be explored more in the show. Like the Doctor's effect on flying throughout time and space and writing wrongs. We talk about not interfering with history. That's all she ever does, or he ever does. And so essentially, let me see if I've got this straight, I've been paying attention. The flux has been created to destroy the universe because the Doctor has done so much damage. Yeah, exactly. Which is such a great concept. It's a huge idea. In fact, that's an idea that I feel as if they may have gone into a little bit more as far as the Doctor's concerned, yeah. in terms of sort of sort of morally, a bit like the scene in um, episode 10 of the War Games of saying, you know, fuck off. You know, I've done a lot of good, you know. All right, it didn't work out so well for the Vervoids, but I did a lot of good. <laughs> no, it's true. And I, I think it's 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 this huge concept. And I can't believe that... I, I'm surprised Doctor Who fans didn't pick up on that more, but they're too worried about there being too many unresolved plot points. Doctor Who fans were already worried about how the finale was going to wrap things up on this by this point. And it's like, just enjoy the ride. I've got to be honest with you. I think I think the bulk of Doctor Who fans go start press play worried. Yeah, and true. that's not a great way to start. I go going okay. What do you got? Let's do yeah. it. You know. Yeah, I um, mean, going back to Barbara Flynn for a second, she plays that role as if she's been in that skin, that character for years and years. Yeah. There's no hint that she's just picked up the script and learnt it that you know that week. Absolutely. Um, and she probably, like, again, she was probably only there for a, a week on set doing her bits. Uh, and it's a fantastic performance. And yeah, give big finish. Give me more of Tech Tayoon's adventures. And don't say that Chippers don't pay things off. He established that character in The Timeless Children. And this is where this is all paid off. The, the watch, you know, they get to have a proper conversation. And then, unfortunately, she's brutally dispatched. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what happens in Doctor Who people get brutally dispatched and I think again people were expecting that to be Belle or Vinda because what they actually want is to see more of Tech Tayoon but no she she serves her purpose within the plot I really like this where they walk back to the TARDIS in slow motion after all this yeah. sort of furious plotting that every now and again Chibas Who just slows down for a scene yeah okay we're taking a pause it's like the bit at the end of um is it resolution when the when the jadoon come into the time uh, timeless children where she sort of sits back on the console and goes well that was a lot <laughs> wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> oh you get vinda's first look into the tardis yeah and they're so excited because he's like is this a tardis oh, dylan he's so pretty yeah, <laughs> Why don't you so is man dip gill? We're in a pretty <laughs> era of Doctor Who here. Yeah. Poor poor old Dan Bishop. No one's no one's put sight in him as their crush. No, is that fella, you know, draws pictures of him with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he showed that on that yeah. chat show, it was so funny. Yeah, so good. Oh. Is this the bit where the little triangle comes along and goes, Can you repair? Yeah. <laughs> I I'd I, I would love to see more Vinda. I know he shows up in power. Of the... Now, he's part in power of the Doctor as much as it's a, just a little fun goodbye to the era. Like, that is someone that didn't need... People say he didn't need to be there for this one. He didn't need to be there for that. That was but... Jack, though. Sure. Yeah. Was supposed to be Jack. You reckon? I, 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 maybe. 
Yeah, no, I mean, quite possibly actually. Yeah, that, that that would make yeah. a lot of. I wouldn't object to you know to one of those triangles going along with them and yeah. sort of a canine sort of role. So give Jodie Whittaker a break, and the triangle could do some of the exposition. Because <laughs> they're really cute, I love them, and it's a great yeah. visual sort of float, it float. Imagine it floating around the console room, going doctor, doctor. You know, <laughs> that's a good idea. All right, right to Russell T Davis. It's not too late. I'm sure the doctor can pick pick one up somewhere. This is a lovely moment, isn't it, by the campfire of her just talking to his message. What is that little thing in her hand, Tigmi? Uh, I mean, it's like a Tamagotchi, isn't it? He sort of smiles at her, doesn't it? Yeah. I, th I think it's just like a space buddy. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, why can't we have... This is a good question. Why can't we have two characters, yeah, that are involved in the story... Um, and the entire purpose of them is that they are trying to find each other without them being a massive part of the plot. And I think that's yeah. what people have a problem with, is where do they fit into the plot? Well, they don't. Yeah. They're just involved in the plot. No, it's just showing you the effects that the Flux has had on the universe and the people within it. They, they're they representative of all the people in the universe. And, you know, there was that whole thing of people going, oh, the kid's going to be the Doctor. And it's like, no. And people so mad on the internet about it. And it's like, you've all just created this. Because mm. also they're thinking of a Moffat mind, aren't they? Yeah. And this this is not... See, what, see what he did? Do you see? <laughs> We're all expecting these enormous twists going back into the Doctor's past. Oh, wait, no, Chibnall did do that, you know. <laughs> do you see this fabulous vista here, Vinda's planet? Yeah, all the destroyed buildings. That's brilliant. I mean, I can kind of see they're against a, a CGI thing there. Yeah, but, but you, it, it's it's about selling the world. It doesn't have to be 100% convincing. Uh, it's it's interesting that this is like a lovely little halfway point where you're kind of like, this is almost like, it's a, it's a game of two halves, but this is almost like wrapping up the excitement of the first couple of episodes of building to something. And it's like a nice little breather before we go into perhaps one of the slower episodes of the, the series next. Perhaps <laughs> some might say I don't know, but we'll, we'll we'll find out. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is is your reaction to the two because no one likes this and you oh, do. Uh, and everyone I, likes the next one, and well, we'll get there. Yeah, we we we, we will indeed. Um, I, I love this episode. I think this is one of the best episodes of the Jodie Whittaker run. I think it's a a certified classic. I wouldn't go that far because I think it's doing a lot. And I can't really see it as a standalone, is my trouble. It's, it's so embedded no. in this season. But I do think it's very strong. It's, oh, it's... oh, look at this. The angel in the phone. Oh, my God. Such such a good idea. Of, of how, Like, this is clever, clever stuff of how you get an angel into the TARDIS. And just showing what a fucking great writer Chris Chibnall is, despite his critics. I mean, that, I, I can't think... Of, oh, actually, I was going to say, I can't think of a more exciting ending than an angel taking over the TARDIS. I know. And it, it, it starts in such a furious way, the next episode. Um, but actually, the next cliffhanger, I think it's even better. Yeah. I mean, this has got some cork and Chris... Uh, Chris hangers? Cliffhangers all the way through, but that one in particular. One, one of the big criticisms is the cliffhangers are all amazing and the resolutions are often disappointing and i've had this conversation on both sides of the argument of where people have said 
you know what the cliffhanger is the important thing because it's getting people back next week yeah i've had other people saying well for the story to be any good the resolution should be more important in fact what's good is if you get both right you know yeah no of course but I, i i think generally it's all about getting people to come back, as you say. So, and they're never they're never going to be that satisfactory. It's very, very true. It, it's just the nature of the danger you're putting someone in that you got you're halfway through a story. Do you recall um, whether we did our three top things of the first two episodes? What did we say we, about that? No, we we didn't do them, and we're going to do them at the end of six. Okay, hang on. Does that mean we've got to do three, six, nine, twelve things? No, I think we came up with an idea of what we do, but um... <laughs> okay. I'll go back and listen <laughs> and see what we said. <laughs> but so okay, would, would you just summarise your thoughts then on Once Upon Time before we hop into the next classic? I think it's an amazing episode. As I said, I, I genuinely think it's a, a classic episode of the era for me. I think it's Chris Chibnall responding to his critics a little bit in the way that Moffat does of um going people go oh he he can't do character and he does his plots are too simple or whatever he's not a good script like which is bollocks but he delivers a very rich dense complicated script that um with amazing character work and also it looks beautiful so I mean it's 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 an 11 out of 10 for me And uh, you know, um, I mean, I, I cannot scale to such heights. <laughs> um, but going back and watching it again, I was astonished at how much work for the season this episode did. Like, listen yeah. at the beginning, and I know you added some more to it as well. But whilst m- giving everybody a chance to do multiple roles, which is something I really love in television when you see people doing different things, um, adding loads of backstory to the roof doctor first glimpse of Tetsuya, like it's just it is just one banging scene after another and then just all wrapped up in the 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 very pretty visual package as well yeah it's it's such a wonderful episode and i hope that as people revisit this era this is one that will start to get reevaluated a bit more and everybody will realize that it, it the season isn't the season's high point isn't just the angel story (laughs) <laughs> and on that note <laughs> <laughs> should we head off to a village of angels <gasps> sounds absolutely chilling let's do it i'll see you there <laughs> i'll cut it there <laughs>